Thank you all for the support and how your hearts are bent towards the Word of God and would not bend. It's been a long journey, about a year and a half. It's going to be almost uh, two years, but God has been good. And he's brought us through, and we have a wonderful group that we're going to be joining who are people who really hold to the Word firmly. The Bible Presbyterian Church is a great group of people who love the Lord and want to stay firm on the Word and not bend to society's whims. And so I'm so grateful for them, to us to have to be part, become a part of that and to be able to stand strong for that. The Bible says to us, if I can see it, <laughs> for I satisfy the weary ones and refresh everyone who languishes, the prophet Jeremiah says. I'm going to invite right now a Reverend Glenn Rogers, who has a sterling uh, history of the military as a chaplain. And he's a, if, if you want to know something that's really good about him, he's a Jersey boy. <laughs> Got good genes. So I want to invite him to open us up with our invocation. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we praise Thee for this hour, the freedom to gather in Thy name to worship Thee, to hear Thy word proclaimed, to spend time together in praise and worship, remembering all that has been done for us by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shed His blood upon that cross emptied himself to be one of us that he might take our sins upon him and redeem us. Our Father, we give thee thanks for bringing us to this day in the long history that this church has gone through in, in standing for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ, for the faithful witness that it has proclaimed here in this city. We thank thee, Father, for watching over us. But now we pray that as we gather, that thou wouldst undertake in the proclaiming of thy word, in the worship, in all these things, that thou alone wouldst receive the glory, that thou wouldst hide the infirmities of those who participate and glorify thyself. Our Father, we pray that Christ himself shall be glorified. And we ask most of all that he would be revealed in power to anyone here who does not know him as Savior. We pray that the Holy Spirit will do his wondrous work in the hearts of each one gathered. And all this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You're the light of the world, like the city on the hilltop that cannot be hidden. We want to let our light shine in this morning as we sing our first hymn. Let's sing together a mighty fortress. This is a, I don't know if you realize this, but this is also Reformation Sunday. And we want to honor and give honor to the church of Jesus Christ, who stands firm about our love for Christ. So let's stand together if you can. If not, please remain seated if it's too painful. And um, let's worship our Lord.
seated. As we all know as Christians that it's very easy for us to fall short of God's glory and that we can have a wonderful God who has forgiven us through Jesus Christ. He also calls us to confess our sins before him and give ourselves wholly to his name. And one of the ways we do that is we have a prayer of confession. One of the things that we do in our worship is we begin to hallow God's name. And that's why we sing something like a mighty fortress is our God, because it reminds us how perfect and holy our God is. When we look at God and his beauty and his splendor and we realize how sinful we are, how much we're lost. And what a wonderful thing he's done for us to save us. We come to him and unload those things of guilt and hurt and sin that we have. So we don't have to carry them and we can carry them to the cross and he can wash them clean by the blood of the cross. So let's come together and let's pray together as we pray the prayer of confession. Let us pray. God, you know us. And we come before you seeking your forgiveness and mercy. You know the words we spoke this week, the attitudes of our hearts, and the motives behind our actions we took. As you know, some of it wasn't so great and God-honoring. Forgive our foolish ways and restore unto us the joy of your salvation that guilt has choked. Help us to overcome our sinful ways and live like you in our ways. This we ask in the Savior's name, Jesus. Amen. And what a wonderful hope that we have in Jesus Christ, because listen how the Apostle Paul shares to us how we've been cleansed from our sin. In Colossians 1, he says, And you who once were alienated, enemies in your minds by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled your body of his flesh through death. To present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in God's sight. And the guidelines for living, he tells us then how we can live a more devoted and life together. As we hear these words again from Colossians. Therefore, as elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another. And forgiving one another. <clears throat> if anyone has a complaint against another, even as God forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And then the words of the Apostles' Creed, let us stand together and let's reunite our faith together. And this one great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Trinity. I believe, Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty, from thence he shall judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Let's remain standing as we sing together Psalm 100.
may be seated. At this time, let us bring our offerings before Almighty God. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for these folks, for their love for you and their desire to grow in the word by your Holy Spirit touching our hearts every day and listening to you and obeying you. Lord, as we come here before you and we bring our gifts, we thank you for the many blessings you showered us with, for health, for family, for the blessings of this church and for brothers and sisters in Christ and for our salvation. There's such a long list that we could be thankful for, but Lord, hear our prayers and bless these folks as they give from their hearts in glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name, I pray that, amen. This time I'm going to invite Steve Hill, who's the Grand Poobar or the moderator of the Eastern Presbyterian Church. And we had a delightful time with the, the three folks, the three men that came down, and then Steve's wife, also Jeannie, um, of laughing and, and telling stories about God's grace in all of our lives. And we had just a great time last night. And I thank you for these folks who have been very receptive and warm to us and to our congregation as they know our desire and where we are at. So Steve, would you come and make the presentation for us? Now, like he said, my name is Steve Hill. I'm the current moderator of the uh, Presbytery. My term ends in May, so for now, I'm the moderator. I'm glad to be here with my wife, Janie, and we want to just officially welcome you into the Bible Presbyterian Church in the Eastern Presbyterian. The two other men that are with us, Keith and Glenn, are former moderators of our Senate, and they have a long history in the Bible Presbyterian Church. So if you want to know about the denomination, if you have a lot of questions, ask them. I'm one of the newer members. I will have been here six years as we roll over into the new year. I don't know at what point I stop saying I'm new. Maybe after it rolls over into that point, I'll stop saying that. But I was thinking about this occasion, and I've been in good churches all of my life. I, I guess that's a compliment to my parents. But as I look back, I've been an, I was an elder in the ARP, which is Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, 
and I was an elder in the PCA, well, the largest conservative Presbyterian denomination in the country, and we're thankful for the work that those churches are doing, and they're serving the Lord, and we're grateful for it, but there's just something about, special about the BPC. And maybe I can say that because I'm one of the newer guys to be here. If I grew up in a church, I might not recognize it. But having spent a lot of time in other churches, there's just something special about the BPC. And as I've thought about it, I said, how can I summarize that? And I've summarized it in two words. The first word that I would use is family. The BPC is a family. The other word I would use to characterize the BPC is culture. There is a very unique culture to the BPC. Now both of those, as far as being a family and have a unique culture, it will take you a while to see that. But after you're with us for a while, I hope you will see that. And the more you're engaged, the more you're involved, the more you'll see that. And one way that I would describe our culture is in the words of one of the men that's with us today, but I'm not going to quote him because every time I try and quote him, I mess it up and he corrects me. So I think it's now time for me to just make it my own so that he cannot come back and correct me anymore. But he would put it something like this. We take our job seriously and we take each other lightly. And I think that is a, that is a great way to describe the work that we do because we're all sinners and we're all going to fall and we're all going to fail. But we take our job seriously and are each, of, each other lightly. So I've enjoyed getting to know your pastor. He and I have had a number of phone calls over the last year. Uh, I appreciate you sending him to Senate. Uh, I know that cost you some money to do that, but I think that was the right thing to do because we got to know him, he got to know us, he got to know other people, other elders and pastors and other uh, presbyteries. And he learned something about our Senate meetings. We do not have a lot of the problems, we don't have any of the problems, that the cultural problems that a lot of the conservative denominations are facing today. So our Senate meetings, you might say, or might be a little boring to some people because we don't have any close votes and things like that. We, we sing, we pray, we worship, we have sermons, we have fellowship, and we have food. That's what we do at our Senate meetings. Wouldn't you say that? Yep. He, he agrees with me. So he got to see a little bit about that when he was there. So I'm thankful for our denomination and thankful that the Lord has protected us from some of the culture issues that are going on. And now it will be your responsibility to help the denomination as well and protect it and to grow it from here. Now I have one prayer request for you today. I'm from South Carolina. And we don't get much snow in South Carolina. So my prayer request is, would you pray that before we leave, that it will snow here? <laughs> will you do that? <laughs> About a foot of snow. That would be fantastic. We just don't get that. And I was driving around in a rental car yesterday, and I looked at the outside temperature, and then there was a little snowflake right beside it. And I went, yes, it's going to snow. I looked outside. The sky was a snow sky. but and it didn't snow. So anyway, pray if, if you're willing that it'll snow. All right, I guess I should do what I'm here for now and read the official notes of Presbytery. This is from a meeting that we had, let's see, September 14. 
Following a summary report from the Candidates and Credentials Committee concerning their examination, Reverend Henyon, the moderator opened the floor for further questions. It was moved by Mr. Roberts and second to close the examination. The motion passed. Reverend Henyon was dismissed from the Zoom meeting and discussion was held. It was moved by Mr. Roberts and second to receive the Reverend David Henyon and the Harvest Community Church into the Eastern Presbytery of the Bible Presbyterian Church General Senate. The motion passed unanimously. The Reverend Henyon rejoined the Zoom meeting where the moderator informed him that both he and his congregation were approved and received into the Eastern Presbytery. The Reverend Beatty prayed for Reverend Henyon. Officially welcome to the Bible Presbyterian Church. Now I think maybe I should read this, don't you? Okay. This is a certificate that we have given the church to remind you of this day. So I'm going to read it to you if I can. Let's see, I probably don't know if I need my glasses or not. Let's see. Unto God be glory in the church by Jesus Christ. To all who shall see this present greetings in the name of the triune God, be it known that Harvest Community Church of Wichita, Kansas, is a particular church of the Eastern Presbytery General Senate of the Bible Presbyterian Church, and that its members are thereby entitled to the rights and representation granted under the Constitution of this Senate in that biblical form of Presbyterian Church government and are charged with maintaining that purity of doctrine, of sacraments, administration, and of Christian life and witness as taught in the Word of God and summarized in the subordinate standards of the Bible Presbyterian Church. And it's signed by me, the moderator, and it's signed by Keith, who is the clerk of the Presbytery. So welcome. Thank you, Stephen. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I am just so grateful that we're at this point right now where we can really make a witness to a lot of our brothers and sisters who are in the Reformed Church. And also too, Lord, for many other churches that are struggling with dealing with our culture and the many things that are going on that don't align with your word. Father, help us to be a light, an encouragement to people who are struggling and to give them the love of Christ and have them meet you, Jesus, and meet you with such joy in their hearts, to be able to be willing to do and obey whatever you say for them to do. For us, Lord, help us to be obedient disciples. Help us to live the way you desire for us and to be filled with our Holy, your Holy Spirit every day as we go out and share the joy that you, Christ, give us in the hope of eternal life. Bless also them today as they travel. Give them safety, Lord. And it's in your name we pray, Christ. Amen. Let's stand to sing our help and ages come. Oh God, our help. Stand together.
seated. At this time, I want to invite to our pulpit Keith Coleman, who I got to know a little bit by his humor, uh, both at the Synod meeting and last night, and we were holding our bellies because we were laughing so hard. But we thankful for you to come and share with us, brother, today, the word of God. I avoided climbing up platform here. There is another church, one actually that Dave and Glenn visited at our synod, little country church in Tennessee. And I, instead of coming around to the actual steps, I said, well, I'll just hop up on this side. And as I tried to, my foot slipped and banged my shin up against that uh, platform and made myself quite the fool. So um, I avoided doing that today. We have in your bulletins the scripture reading and also up on the um, platform, up on the screen, 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you would follow along with your eyes as I'll be able to read that and you can use your uh, sheets in reference, um, in reference as time goes on. <clears throat> The Apostle writes, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affections, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so did these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further. For their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou, and the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished, 
unto all good works. May God be pleased to bless his word to our hearts today. Let's pray. Father, we pause in a portion of this morning's worship hour to um, proclaim your word. And may we handle it with the love and care that it deserves and receive it as such. May your servant be hidden and may Christ be honored in the things that we share here this day. Seed sown and found in good soil to produce an abundance of harvest. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. June 17th of 1505, Martin Luther came to the gate at the Augsburg Seminary and knocked. The monastery doorkeeper opened and at his arrival, Luther expressed his desire to join the order. And as according to the regulations, the prior asked him the following questions. Are you a serf? Do you have any unpaid debts? And do you suffer from any hidden disease? Luther responded, no, 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 no. As a matter of fact, he said, I was not a serf, but a free citizen. I did not have any unpaid debts for all of my school debts from preceding college days were paid. And he did not have any hidden disease. He was healthy and he was strong. Yet, brethren, he surely could have answered in the affirmative. Searching his heart, he should have known and all was because he was a serf. He was in debt and he had a disease. As a matter of fact, that's the precise reason why Luther came to search out some recourse for that which was burdened upon his heart. He was a slave to sin and that he was God's debt because of the sin that he had. And maybe worst of all, the sin that was born within him was gnarling worse than any disease that was occurring even at that time. And the question that was laid upon Luther's heart was, how do I find a merciful God? In other words, how do I find a relief from that which is born within me? What could he do? His slavery, his unpaid debts, his hidden disease, these things remained heavy on him, burdened his soul, and brought him into this place. As the months turned into years, the monastery could provide no relief, nothing really. It developed as time went on, as a matter of fact, Luther did everything possible to reach his freedom, to have his debts paid, to have his disease cured. He fasted. Later on, he wrote the Duke of Saxony, George. He says, if ever there was a monk who would go to heaven by his monkery, I would. All of my fellow monks would agree that if it had lasted longer, I would have tortured myself to death with all of the watching praying, fasting, and other work. But it was all for naught. Nothing. Worthless. His soul still struggled with those same principles. He chose 21 saints, three saints a day. Surely the saints could intercede on his behalf, help him through these struggles. But there was no answer. When the occasion came to go to Rome, he jumped at the chance but was greatly disappointed as those who were in Rome, the holy place, were there to commercialize the whole situation. Found no relief whatsoever. 
He had hoped to find a confessor among the higher clergy, somebody within the church to be able to release him from the burdens that he came into this situation. But there was no answer. But at last he found it. He found his answer. The heavy bonds of slavery to sin were broken by what he found in the Bible. The learned payment for his debts were found in the Bible. And the disease was cured by what he found in the Bible. There was that Bible at which he found the message of justification of the sinner by grace through faith and the basis of the Christ work alone. The message that the one answer to all of Luther's questions, when he discovered, as he opened up and even stated himself, it was like paradise opening before me. The message became the foundation for the Reformation. The truths right there in front of him. You familiar with Cliff Notes? Those of you who are old enough to remember high school and college days. Today, I guess they just go right to a computer, you know. Cliff Notes, those little black and yellow books where you could not want to read that big, thick, assigned textbook, but you can go to Cliff Notes and they'll give you the answers. They will summarize everything that was necessary. No, I didn't do that, but nevertheless. <laughs> or there, there's a other series, Books for Dummies. You know, How to Learn Violin uh, by uh, Dummies, Dummies for Violin, or ease Everyday Math for Dummies. Uh, written for all kinds of jobs and projects, less intimidating as you go through these dummy books. Break it down. Anybody could use it. I know Paul didn't have that in mind when he wrote uh, in this particular section of his letter to Timothy. But the truth of the matter is, all that he had written up to this point in 2 Timothy, and really specifically in chapter 3, was a matter of dealing with the perilous times of these last days. I guess we could boil it down to last days for dummies. Two verses, verse 12 and 13, he says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Two things that we recognize the apostle presented to young Timothy and presents to us was the fact that persecution is a part of the believer's life, especially of the trials of the day that we're having. We intend to live for the Lord, those persecution times will come. And then he says, evil men, imposters, deceivers, they're going to go from bad to worse. They're going to swallow their own Kool-Aid and they're going to not only deceive, but they're going to deceive themselves in the things that they have been led in. Yet in the middle of all of this, Paul strongly encourages young Timothy. He says, I want you to hold on to the truth. Stay the course. Verse 14, but continue, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Timothy, he says, I want you to continue in the direction that you've been taught and not in the unlearned men of your day, the evil followers. If they go east, you go west. If they go south, you go north. He says, Timothy, you have to be able to continue in the things that you have not only known, but been assured of, convinced of, uh, born within your own heart. What school did Timothy graduate from, by the way? You ever see that? It's in the book of Hezekiah. No. 
I did that once, and somebody was opening their Bibles looking for the book of Hezekiah. There isn't a book of Hezekiah. He went to school with Paul. In Jessam, that was his, his main teacher, but it was allowing him an education. He says, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, and my purpose. Timothy received personal instruction from Paul. Can you imagine walking with him, listening to him preach, visiting him in prison, understanding the conflicts of everything that went on, hearing Paul say the things that he says, and then watching Paul follow the things that he believed himself. It was a great lesson, a great education that he had. However, Timothy's education started long before that. Back in chapter 1, verse 5, Paul spoke of the unfeigned or the sincere faith that dwelt in you. But first of all, it was found in your grandmother and in your mother. He says that which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded, I'm convinced that in thee also... Timothy's early years of being grounded in the word of God, found within that family unit, were priceless to him. Now, although there are no other names mentioned, I firmly believe that over the years, God brought into Timothy's life godly men and women, instructing them, helping him along, and living in a pattern of life that he ought to live, teaching Timothy truth, instructing him in the Old Testament, training him in morality, holy living, teaching Timothy to love the Lord God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, and to love his neighbor as he would love himself. That's the groundwork for a godly life. You know, I say that, I kind of ask myself, what have I done? How have I taught? How have I instructed, not only with my words, but with my actions, especially to those who are younger than me? Yes. Uh, over the years and how am I doing that now in my life as a father as a grandfather as an uncle as a neighbor at times as a pastor how have I interacted as a teacher in bringing these truths to them you know the opportunity comes to all of us throughout life to be teachers and not necessarily in the same fashion as we'd say a teacher but as we talk as we act as we do things according to the matters of faith, encouraging, directing, instructing in our words, as well as our actions. You know, the things that they hear us say need to be followed up by the things that I do. Well, he said this, and look what he's doing. That doesn't make sense. And I think what Timothy received in his life, he says, Paul, you taught me this, and I watched, and I saw what you believed, because you'd actually followed along with those very same truths. And brethren, that's with us. We leave it in God's hands as we teach such. Yet teaching wasn't enough again by itself, verse 14, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, in other words, from grandma, from mom, from Paul, from the others, continue in those things. And he says, and have been assured of, convinced of, really understanding those truths. In the life of the Christian, what has been received and learned must be applied to the heart by the Holy Spirit. We learn lots. We can sit in church and Sunday school and even at home and we hear with our ear gate. And we allow all this information in and we can be filled and regurgitate all kinds of stuff. But unless the Holy Spirit takes it and brings it within my heart to convince me this is truth. This is reality. This is how God wants me to be. There's no profit to it. 
But I believe that's what occurred within Timothy's life. Words were just words unless the Spirit took them in, changing our thinking to our actions. Timothy, stay the course. Follow the teachings of godly men and women that have been providentially provided in your life. And in like manner, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit that moves your heart to make those truths understandable and applied, and then to avoid the things that need to be avoided. I would look down to the last few verses of this chapter. He says, and that from a child, and again, in other words, I'd, I'd say from Timothy's infancy. I think grandma lived with him. I think, you know, grandma was a part of that household. Uh, my grandma lived with us. Uh, she had three children, and for one-third of the year, she lived with each of her three children. So we got grandma for four months out of the year. Sometimes it wasn't the best, but, you know, that's how it was. But we were instructed, as Timothy was instructed by grandma, by mom, all the way through those early years. That which was able to make thee wise unto salvation, which is in Christ Jesus. The Old Testament scriptures taught them about the coming of Messiah. How salvation would be provided by the sovereign God. That which was laid before them presented there. Grandma, mom, gleaning from those Old Testament scriptures, which was made real to them by faith in Christ. I'd like to just draw a little paragraph from a commentator quite a few years ago by the name of Albert Barnes. He says, the scriptures have power. They are able to make one wise unto salvation. They're not cold, tame, or dead. There is no book that has such power as the Bible. None that is so efficient in moving hearts and consciences and the intellects of mankind. There is no book that has moved so many minds None that has produced so deep and a permanent effect on the world. It's true, and we can say amen to that. And many would, but not all would. See, Timothy was not only instructed, but his heart was convinced by the Holy Spirit that this was the word of God. God's word, as he spoke to him. All scripture given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. All scripture. Well, when he writes this again, that was the Old Testament. But not just the Old Testament in time, the canon of the New Testament was brought in. All 66 books, the word of God. He understood that. It brought life to him. All scripture given by inspiration of God, the breath of God. As God spoke, it was the origin of him brought to life in these words, in these books, the origin of all the contents that were there. There's nothing like it. Not too long ago, I caught part of a PBS special. Uh, Ken Burns, familiar with Ken Burns and the work he does. I like his work in the Civil War and, and uh, uh, American uh, uh, other areas of, of American history. But it had one that was on six-hour one, and it was on Ernest Hemingway. If you know Ernest Hemingway, I disastrous life, you know, just horrible. But I looked it up, and he says, Ernest Hemingway, one of the greatest and most influential writers of America that has ever produced. Greatest influential writers of America. 
Well, I took it a little bit farther in research and someone wrote in, as far as history, William Shakespeare is widely regarded as one of the greatest writers of English language. Greatest, when you hear those adjectives, you guys, whoa, you know, greatest, influential, you know, most, most. Did a little bit more digging. Top 25 books that changed the world. Top 25 books. Can you guess the top book that this survey did? 1984 by George Orwell. I'm saying, really? Number two, Aesop's Fables by Aesop. Owl and the Grasshopper, the Town Mouse and the Country Mouse, the Two Goats, and so on and so on. That's the number two book as far as changing the world. Number three, The Analytics of Confucius by Confucius. I'm not sure how they come up with this, but they did. Number four, The Art of War by Sun Tzu. Books that influence the world. Number five, well, <laughs> finally, sitting at number five. And that may be all well and good. It may sit well, but when I'm going to go down and read Ernest Hemingway or George Orwell, will that make me a better husband? Will it help me to be a better grandfather? Will it help me in my understanding of my relationship to my country, my fellow citizens? Or digesting Aesop's fables that I go to bed at night. How will that give me peace after losing a loved one? So they sit and I read these things. It's an influential book. They said so. But what will it do for my soul? Feeling kind of a heavy burden of sin. Well, let me check out some William Shakespeare. You know? um, I'm sure he has something to say to help me deal with my sin. Maybe I could read Hamlet or Macbeth, you know? We wonder. But with our Bible, the human authors from Moses to John, all 35 of them, were powerfully guided by the Holy Spirit so that what they wrote were the true, very words of God. Given. Books are ultimately the supreme value to man because it is everything that God intended to reveal to man. God intends to reveal certain things to mankind and he says, I'm going to do so by putting it in this book. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 1, paragraph 1. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the godliness or the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men unexcusable, yet they are not sufficient to give the knowledge of God and the will and his will which are necessary unto salvation. Therefore it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diverse manners to reveal himself and to declare that his will unto his church and afterwards for the better preserving and propagating of the truth and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world to commit the, the same holy unto writing 
which maketh the Holy Scriptures to be most necessary. Those former ways of God's revealing his will unto his people being now ceased. The Westminster Divine says this just makes common sense. Those things that God has provided, but now here he's provided everything that God's wanted for, for life. Listen to Peter's words. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, therefore the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Talk about adjectives. Exceeding great. You can't top it. Our only infallible rule of faith and practice, Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. You can go on and on. One of the pillars of the Reformation was sola scriptura. Scripture alone, its sufficiency is beyond question. Reformers pounded that again and again into the heads of others. And there is no need for additional revelations or visions or words of prophecy. For our sovereign, omniscient, omnipotent God didn't look down from glory, wring his hands and kind of wonder, did I give them enough? Wipe the sweat off his brow and look down and say, oh, I, I, I should have told him about this. I could have offered them, that I, I forgot all about that. Sometimes he's perceived as the Wizard of Oz hiding behind the curtain, throwing switches and levers, billowing out smoke and flames and thundering lightnings, authoritative statements flying around, make mankind in awe of him. And so he's viewed as a charlatan. To some, the curtain's being revealed and they find him nothing but a sham. That's not the way our God works. Never has nor never will. His love for his people is clearly manifested in the written revelation that we have before us and indeed provided for us in the living word, his son, Jesus Christ. All scripture given to us by the inspiration of God and is profitable. Profits. It profits us. It fills my soul. I want to leave us today with a couple of practical applications to build on the truth that we have here in the word of God. First of all, everything that God would have us to know about him and our relationship with him is presented. He's revealed to us in his word. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That is what he's revealed to us about himself, and that's what he wants us to know. And so I glean out of that a holy God. 
And I glean out of that a sinful human. I say these two don't stand together in our relationship to him. He's revealed in his word through his spirit these powerful truths. And the matter of fact, the idea that as human beings look at these definitions, it's important for us because everyone has an opinion on what is a sinner, what God is, and what place the sinner is going to take after he leaves this earth. And everybody's got an opinion when they die. April 9th of 2021, news was announced that Prince Philip had died the former husband of the late Queen of England, and it resulted in a number of interviews with the British press. One correspondent, I recall, said something to the effect that the Queen was deeply religious and that she would no doubt be praying for her husband. And I scratched my head and I said, well, that might be a little bit late to pray for her husband, you know. He's already gone. It's there. But there was one Anglican church leader that said, his faith in Jesus Christ was an important part of his life and one which shaped who he was. That same day, a little closer to home in White Plains, New York, a very popular rapper by the name of DMX died. Suffered a heart attack some days earlier and finally died in the same day as the prince. His life was marked by drugs and arrests. He had fathered 12 children by different women and yet he credited God alone for a 180-degree turn in his life. He became a deacon in his church and said that he eventually wanted to become something like a pastor if God would allow him. Both of these men are evaluated by different standards in the world. Both men will look as far as what these lives had taken and what happens, but clearly their final destination is bound within the hand of God alone. But secondly, not only does God tell us in his word all that we need to know about him and our relationship with him, he reveals to us our relationship with each other. I always like to think of it as a vertical, our relationship with God, and the horizontal, the relationship that I have with my fellow man. So much of our day, our life is linked to others, whether it's within the household, or at the workplace, at school, in the market, uh, everything. There's always a horizontal interaction with those that are around me. And we have within us in the pages of history, the pages of poetry, letters to churches, letters to individual, everything that God would want us to know about that relationship with him, but especially our relationship with those that are around us. How do I deal with them? How do I handle these tears? How do I, how do I handle the struggles of life? How do I handle the persistent troubles of the world around me? God gives us such truth. Bottom line, it is loving the Lord our God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our mind. There's the vertical and our neighbor as we would love ourselves, the horizontal. Luther seated in a powerful truth that changed his life all i mean he had the scriptures he could memorize he could do it but it was the spirit of god taking the truths of god's word and changing his heart changing his life key to the the the, the striking of the match that brought on the powerful reformation we bemoan the things that take place in our culture today in society 
and I'm not nearly as old as I sometimes feel as I walk around, uh, I see changes that have taken place in my time in life. And it's painful to watch. And we sometimes will look and shake our fist and say, it's their responsibility, or it's his, or it's this that's taking place, and everything else. And what are we going to do? And we throw our hands up and say, you know, I'm sick of this government, or I'm sick of that. I just, I'm sick of the church, you know. The bottom line is, God has always had it under control. We couldn't feel any worse about the situations in life that Luther felt about his own soul. But it was found within the pages of Holy Writ that this is what God wants him to know about him and what he wants him to know about him. And he wants us to know the relationship that was there. That's what happens. We're thankful to be able to work together for the furtherance of the kingdom, to tackle the issues that are before us as individuals, as families, things that we face as a congregation. And, and we don't have all of the answers, but God's word does. And we're thankful that we understand the relationship with his word has been provided by his grace. Shall we pray? Our Father, we pause after we consider the pen of Timothy, the pen of Paul uh, giving to Timothy and the reception of these things in his young life, how it affected him, how it changed his life, not only just the words of Paul, but the actions of Paul and the reception of this letter and others that uh, have affected them for the furtherance of the kingdom. And how your word from, from Genesis to Revelation grants us light of truth that you have revealed unto us there everything that you would have us to know about yourself and about each other. Father, plant good seed within our souls May those seeds be found settling in good soil, that we would be able to produce a return to you, a 60-fold, 80-fold, 100-fold. And at the end, we would look back and say, Lord, it's been all to your honor and to your glory. We thank you, Father, for drawing this individual congregation together, the, the families represented, the young and the old alike, those who are under the the shepherding of a pastor and a, a session whose hearts are bound within the truth of leading uh, your, uh, your flock uh, in this local particular area. Uh, Lord, be kind to them, be gracious. Um, pray that us as a presbytery would continue to seek to do your will. And then when it's all finished, uh, we may be able to hear those words from you, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, we uh, recognize, Lord, that's by your grace. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Keith, for that good dinner. <laughs> I want to invite everybody afterwards. We're going to have dinner. And uh, you can say mine now to set up the table so we have a great time of fellowship and sharing together. And uh, Keith, thank you for the wonderful word that uh, we need that every day, especially as we walk through our society that's so gone alive. But we can stand tall no matter where we are. Can you please stand with me as we receive the benediction? Remember the saying, God be with you to a new day.
Now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, your Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit be in the Bible with you all. Now until the day Jesus comes. Amen. 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 God,